Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Lance's House of Sports. Don't forget to rate the podcast, share it with a friend, and tune in weekly for weekly podcasts. All right, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're back, and we're back for another fantastic episode for you guys. This is Lance's House of Sports. I am Lance Wyatt, and I'm joined by my house member, Ben Gabriel. We're going back to the OGs at the show. Welcome back, Ben. Just the two of us. (laughs) We can make it if we try. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, bringing it back, bringing it back. Yeah, no, feeling like the old days, but... We got a lot of talk about today. I mean, as we're as we're doing this podcast right now, it was the NFL trade deadline today. A lot of news going around the NBA. Another crazy week in college football last week. Our Buckeyes had a little scare. They had us in the first half there. And then, of course, October's over, but the World Series is still going on. There's so much to talk about. But the first thing that we are going to talk about is, of course, absolutely keeping up with the Buckeyes. (laughs) Ohio State, they went up, they traveled to Happy Valley to take on Penn State last week. Penn State was 13 in the country going up to the game. They were 6-1, and and they competed early. They were really giving us some fits, both on offense and defense. Ohio State ended up winning that game, pulling it out 44-31. We outscored them 28-17 in the fourth quarter. Um, Ben, what what were your first reactions on that game? Penn State played great. Got to give them props. They probably, they definitely played their best game all season. Uh, Sean Clifford played his best game all season. I think that uh, we kind of like stuck to the game plan a little too long. You know what I mean? Because you I could, know you we could, I could see from my couch that we could throw the ball all the whole all game. day long. Yeah. Down the field. So we were trying to run the ball the first three quarters and the fourth quarter, we finally got away from it and just started airing it out and. It worked. And we finally started getting points. I mean, yeah. I agree completely. Do you, I don't know if you saw the highlight reel of every single screen pass we threw in that game last week. They probably totaled for a combined like 12 yards, 13 yeah. yards, maybe 15 yards. And it was probably like six screens that we threw in that game. I don't know why we didn't throw the ball like vertically, I guess. Yeah. We were I throwing mean, it horizontally to the sidelines and... I agree. We, we got see, the speed. We to seemed run a little tense, like opening and... out the game. I don't want to say we were nervous or that. Like, they looked nervous. I, I want to say that the environment probably got to them a little bit in the first quarter because that was the first time they were playing in an environment like that all year. Yeah. And granted, that was also the best team they were playing all year. Yeah. So it was something new to them. Granted, it lasted a little longer than we thought. I mean, because we were up early, up 10 0 after the first quarter, up 17 to 14. But it was just way too tight of a game. You could tell we didn't seem very comfortable until, like you said, we started throwing the ball downfield and getting back to our forte and doing what we do best. Yeah, I mean, after the we had a three-play, 75-yard drive. I think it actually yeah. ended in a rushing touchdown. It like, did. It did. Which is surprising because we couldn't run the ball all day. But we got down the field by throwing the ball, and we got down the field by throwing it down the field, not to yes. the sidelines. Yeah. Like, I don't. The screens were just – they boggled me. I think the play calling could have been a lot better, but we pulled it out. We had a big fourth. Nothing to complain about. I don't want to move on or not move on, but I don't want to ask this next question. I want to keep detailing this game a little bit because our defense was fantastic in this game. Absolutely fantastic. I mean, we had we gave up 31 points in this game, but JTT, JT 
Tumalale. Yeah. I, I apologize that I don't know how to pronounce your name, JT, if you're ever listening. <laughs> <laughs> but he was an absolute stud. Yeah. He I mean, had he had plenty of sacks, plenty of tackle for losses. He had a tipped pass at the line of scrimmage that resulted in an interception. He even had his own interception he had, and he took it back for six. He had two interceptions. Did he was did he have two interceptions? He had one in the first. So he had two interceptions. So did so he pick he, it off on that play or did he yeah. deflect that ball? No, so he had two interceptions, uh tackle for loss. Two sacks, a fumble recovery, and a touchdown. That's probably one of the best defensive performances I, I ever watched. It was in my the first time life. someone's recorded like every single like stat an interception, you can think a sack, of. and a touchdown in like since like 2007. I or mean, something. he was absolutely incredible, and I mean, I truly believe our defense played well. I mean, one thing that I was upset about is we went back to what was going on early in the season, and I was always emphasizing that we need to fix. Big plays, you yeah. know, we give up a lot of big plays and our tackling wasn't the best in this. In no, the we were missing tackles. Week. We were missing tackles left and right. So many plays where they shouldn't have been able to get a first down, shouldn't have gotten the end zone or, you know, just a simple catch and run. You know, they catch, they break a tackle or two and then they took it to the house. I mean, they had a fourth and goal. I think it was early in the fourth quarter, late in the third where Tommy Eichenberg had him wrapped up two yards behind the line of scrimmage and he ended up scoring a touchdown. And that's not like Tommy at all. No. Like normally when a guy like Tommy or even like Steel Chambers, guys like that, when they get their hands on a on a man with the football, they're going down right away. And it wasn't, they weren't perfect last week and that's okay. Like you can expect that from yeah. a college football team. They still got the job done. Another thing I want to talk about for Penn State before we move past them, Parker Washington, the receiver for Penn State, he, he had like the game. Beast. He had the game of his life. Yeah. He's never had stats like this in his entire career with Penn State. Yet by the end of the game, he finished with 11 catches, 179 yards, and a touchdown. Like that was just unbelievable. Like I don't know what was going on with our DBs and why we couldn't guard him. I don't know. Our secondary was just they were just struggling, man. They were struggling. I don't think they expected. Clifford to throw the ball as much as he did because Penn State has been so reliant. He threw it 47 times. Yeah. You're right about that. He Penn State has been so reliant on the run all season that we were trying to force them to throw the ball, and I think uh, Clifford surprised us a little bit and succeeded. I mean, there were so many plays in that game. Like He, did, he threw the ball 47 times, but they also had a total of 26 carries from their two backs, and they combined for over 100 rushing yards. So they had a good day at the office. If it wasn't for all the turnovers and sacks and pressures we were getting to Sean Clifford, that could have been a completely different ball I mean, game. I thought we I thought we had lost at the beginning of the fourth quarter. So did, Yeah, I thought I, yeah, I thought the it, game was I was over. getting a little nervous. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> don't get me wrong, I live bet three and a half, and I loved it. I'm pissed I didn't hammer it yeah but yeah no it was an interesting game from the Buckeyes definitely one that we needed to see so we know what's going to go uh, be going on the rest of the year our potential weaknesses but I liked how CJ Stroud he in the fourth quarter he continued to look very poised yeah like, I know we were losing yep. the game like the uh over the shoulder throw to uh, Amika Buka down yeah. the field yeah yeah like some of those passes he made in the fourth quarter when we were losing those games that's passes you want to see your quarterback hey. making and I loved it I yeah. loved it. It's a, I mean, it's exactly what you want to see in a quarterback like that, especially one that's a Heisman candidate and he's looking to go to the pros next year. Yeah. Right? I, next year? Yeah. This yeah. Is, yeah. That's sad to say. Yeah. But, I mean, and then Marvin Harrison on the other side, like he was huge for us. JSN, I still don't really know what's going on with him. It's a continuing issue. I really hope to see him back. But Marvin Harrison, he is a force to be reckoned with. He's the best receiver in the country. 10 one, for 185. Like every time we needed a big play, you knew exactly where the football was going. Oh, and they and couldn't he stop was, it. And they could not stop it. It was, it, was, it was just like them on the other side kind of, except 
Marvin Harrison, obviously, it was a bigger force. We were able to get more points out of it. Yeah. Granted, he didn't get in the end zone, but I don't know. What's your final takeaway from this game? Because I still believe we're the best team in the nation. Yeah. I, I, mean, I think in the fourth quarter, we showed we're the best team in the nation. I think in the first three quarters, we showed that we're very beatable. We're so not it's, perfect. Yeah, it's, it, I think it goes both ways. The players, I'm sure they learned a lot from the game. I hope the coaching staff learned something. We got to yeah. get away from the game plan a little earlier if you see that happening. Because it was there the whole game. Marvin Harrison's slants were there the yeah. whole game. Yeah. It was ridiculous. It was. It was. So lots to take away from the game as a, as a team. Yeah, lots to take away, lots to look forward to. Um, we got a matchup against Northwestern this coming up week. Uh, we're on the road again. The spread's as big as you would think it would be. It is 38 and a half. But right now, now we're just looking forward to the road to Michigan. Granted, we can't look ahead of any of our matchups. You have to take every matchup seriously. But now we're past that point in our schedule to where, all right, it's time to lock in each and every week, stop messing around, and it's time to go chase a championship because there's still a whole lot to work out in college football. Um, you know, with the three SEC teams going on, I, and that's going to lead me to my next question, a huge matchup in college football this week and really one of the only matchups I care about in college football, and it's number one Georgia at home going up against number two B, Tennessee Volunteers. Georgia opened up as a 13-point spread in that game, Ben. 13 points. It's now down to eight. Yeah, 13 was disrespectful. It was very disrespectful. And as we continue to talk about this, I believe Tennessee is going to get this win. Yeah, I think Georgia's definitely overrated. I think uh, Stetson Bennett's overrated. I feel like people think that the Georgia team they have this year is the same team they have last year. And this team is not nearly as good. I mean, they lost all 11 or something of their defensive starters to the NFL. Like. They're going to have some bigger issues on their hand on uh, Saturday. I think Tennessee is going to be able to throw the ball well, like normal, the high, high-powered offense. Yeah. And Tennessee just got their uh, best wide receiver back. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Georgia's in trouble, man. Georgia, they, they lose Nolan Smith to a key injury. He's going to be out for the remainder of the year. I mean, that's a big loss for anybody defensively, especially to a guy of that caliber. But, I mean, like, like you uh, – emphasized over the cutoff. Uh, Tennessee's getting a huge receiver back for them, and it's just adding to the tandem of weapons that they've had all year long. And Hennon Hooker, I mean, if they win this game this week, he's winning the Heisman. I don't know about that. He's going to win the Heisman. I don't know about Dude, that. Dude, his stats have just been absolutely ridiculous. While uh, with with a tough schedule. People people have been saying their schedule isn't as tough as people thought, but I mean, come on. They just dominated Kentucky 44 to 6. I don't care what the matchup is. 44 to 6. And Kentucky they've they've been solid this year. I mean, they beat Mississippi State earlier in the year. They gave I mean, they lost to Ole Miss on the road, but that was a tough game that went right down to the wire. Kentucky beat Florida earlier in the year. Like th- those are decent teams that we're talking about and Tennessee just absolutely assaulted them from start to finish. Literally like the Michigan state players did to the Michigan guys in the <laughs> locker room. Like that was Tennessee this past week. They're just making statements time and time again. And after this matchup at Georgia, they got Missouri, South Carolina and Vanderbilt. It is an absolute cakewalk to the SEC championship. They know how big this game is. I mean, granted, so does Georgia though, right? Because whoever wins this game is basically going to be going to the SEC championship game to face off against Bama. And whoever if, wins this game will be in the playoffs, I think. 
So because I think they're going to put two SEC teams, we can, teams we can move that we can move that right back into the college football playoff because the first college football playoff rankings is coming out tonight. We're recording this on November first on a Tuesday. Um, the first rankings are coming out tonight, and you know there's three teams in the SEC that no matter what happens the rest of the year, like all three of them could make an argument to make the playoffs. Like they're just that good. Like granted, you like they have to take losses eventually to each other, right? I mean, they have to at some point, assuming that there's no upset losses along the way. So if you put the SEC champion in there, and then let's just say the loser of the SEC championship, you probably still put them in there, right? But let's say, let's just say Georgia loses this game and then they went out. Do you still put them in the playoffs? Because you you have, I mean, already undefeated Ohio State, undefeated Michigan. Whoever wins that and wins the Big Ten championship, they're in. Yeah. And then you got undefeated Clemson. And then you also have people aren't seeing it. Number seven right now, undefeated TCU in the Big 12. So there's going to be a lot of controversy and a lot of discussion when it comes down to that. That's why I believe this game means oh so much because if whoever loses this game, even if it is Tennessee and they miss the playoffs, I think it could cost them for making the playoffs. That's exactly why I hate the 14 playoff. I understand that. I think uh, they're just – I love Tennessee and I love the offense that they have this year, but they still have – horrible defense they played good saturday against kentucky but they I looked think, promising last week i also think that can be accredited to kentucky being a little overrated will levis being a little overrated i could agree to that a little bit because people think he could be like a top 15 pick this in the draft next year i don't i don't think he's an nfl caliber no, quarterback at all I, I really don't i don't think he is yeah but so well it'll be interesting i think the it's just the battle of the defenses i think that if Georgia can stop Tennessee. I think Georgia will will be able to score points on Tennessee's defense. It's just who's going to score more points at that point. It's going to be a close game. I think I'm probably still going to take Tennessee because their offense is just incredible. And that's, that's exactly why I'm taking Tennessee because, yes, their defense, it's not fantastic. It's not you. It's not even good, you could say. No, it's but, not. But, I mean, they still dominated Kentucky last week, and that's a good win. Georgia, I mean – with their resume, they only gave up three points to Oregon early in the year, but they did give up 20 to Florida. Um, they gave up 22 to Kent State and Missouri. You know, like they're not perfect either. And I no. just believe, I believe Tennessee's offense is one of the best in the country, right up with ours. So I think they can score as many points as they need to score to win a ball game. And I mean, they scored 52 points against Alabama to win it. Why can't they score 52 again to win it on the road? The big no. difference maker <laughs> is that it is on the road. I, I completely believe that environments play a huge factor in especially college students in the way they play the game and being comfortable in the game, you know, being able to follow the game plan, understand the strategies that's going on, where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are. But if they can get out of the first quarter in a tight ball game and they look good, Tennessee is going to win this game. Like they are just, they know it's right there in front of their fingertips, you know, yeah. like they're licking it. They just they need a big start. They, they can't start. They need slow. a big start. I got Tennessee winning this game. I think Tennessee's gonna win. I think, I think they Georgia's get it done. a little overrated. I mean, I wouldn't say they're like overrated. Granted, they're, they're the definitely de- not they're, number one in the country. The, they're the defending champs, though. So yeah. you gotta give them credit. And they've they dominated just, they every single game guys, they've played man. in. Another reason why I take them is because I personally I mean, I like Hennon Hooker more than Stetson Bennett. Stetson yeah. Bennett's a great player. He knows how to run the ball too. He can sling it. But I just 
the type of hype that Hendon Hooker is bringing right now <laughs> kind of reminds me of like not exactly Johnny Manziel or like Cam Newton, but a bit of a mix for those guys, you know, because it's that SEC dominant team that people know they're good, but can they beat these guys, you know, yeah. can they beat these powerhouses? And I just remember when I was younger, you know, like Johnny, Johnny football, Cam Newton, they found ways to get those wins and Hendon Hooker reminds me exactly like that. I'm taking Tennessee. I think they're legit. I want us to play them in the playoffs because I would love that matchup so bad. Be but yeah, game. there's a there's still a lot to shake out in college football right now. Um, we'll see if Clemson can stay with their undefeated uh, record right now. They got a tough matchup next week, in my opinion. I think it's a tougher matchup than people think. They're traveling to Notre Dame to take on the Fighting Irish. They're currently a four point four point favorite in that game. You see a trap game going on. You see an upset brewing, Ben. Or no, you think uh, DJ Ungalalaway, however you pronounce his name. You know, I haven't, gets it done. I haven't watched a ton of Clemson this year just because they always play nobodies and their games aren't entertaining. Mm-hmm. Their their best wins like Syracuse, I'm pretty sure. No, no, no. Well, I mean, I mean, yeah, like Syracuse, NC State, Wake Forest, yeah, like, you know, like a bunch of ACC teams yeah. that are just not relevant at yeah. all. They're good because of their confidence. It'll be but continue. It'll be interesting to see how Notre Dame plays. They got the win against Syracuse last week. They looked a little better than they have the rest of the year. Yeah, I think that Clemson's extremely overrated. They are probably going to get in the playoffs because they have an easy schedule. But I would not be surprised at all if Notre Dame won this game just because their defense is good. And yeah, I don't think Ugo, I just I don't think Ugalele is anything special. I agree. I mean, granted, he he was struggling last week in that win they have, but Dabo said, like, you know, like, we ride or die with DJ. Um, He's our guy, and he's going to continue to be our guy. Like, he said that. So I personally think that's the wrong strategy on Debo's part. I think they got a fantastic backup backup in Cade Klubnik. He's absolutely fantastic, dude. That guy can sling the fucking football. Yeah. He, like, when when he becomes our quarterback next year, then I think Clemson becomes – a force to be reckoned with. But right now, Notre Dame, they're playing good football right now. They've been finding ways to get wins. They did lose to Stanford a few weeks ago, but they bounced right back with that over wins over UNLV. And then they traveled to Syracuse and they kicked their ass. Yeah. So they look good right now. And I think they're gonna upset Clemson this week. I just don't think Clemson's I, what, I just don't think Clemson's what people say. And you know, Notre Dame's that type of team, you know, like they're not great. They're not bad, but they can beat solid teams. And I think that's what Clemson is exactly. I think they're a solid football team in college. And honestly, it may, it make the playoff committee, the college football playoff committee's job a whole lot easier if Clemson got a loss on their resume. So I know, I know they're looking forward to a Notre Dame upset this uh, coming up weekend. And then another game I want to talk about before we get out of college football uh, and that's six in the nation, Alabama. They're traveling to LSU to take on the Tigers there. Spreads 13 right now in favor of Bama. Um, you see any trap game there? You think Bama dominates? I think Bama could actually lose this game. Really? LSU's been playing great football, and their quarterback's been playing great football as well. Yeah. I don't know. Some of these teams in the SEC, I just don't think they're as good as what people like. what people are used to, I guess. Alabama doesn't have that dominant defense that everybody's used to that can win them football games. Like they are solely reliant on their offense to win them football games. And I mean, that's kind of how a lot of college football is this year, honestly. Like there's some, some teams, defenses, but, but these you power- know, like the Ohio States, the Michigan, Georgia, like those teams like heavily rely on their defense to win them football games. Yeah. And I know Ohio State has 
arguably the best offense in the country, but our defense won us that football game Saturday. Yeah, and I, I think agree. I think Alabama's defense is going to need to do the same thing for them because I think LSU is going to be able to put points on the board. You know, they have the talent, they have the five stars. It's just putting it together, and if Alabama gets unlucky and LSU puts it together this week, they could be in trouble. So I like that take that you have because I don't think Bama's perfect this year. I think this is one of more of their flaw years compared to what it normally is. Normally they are the team to beat every single year, year in and year out. I mean, Jaden Daniels, like he looks solid too. He's got 1,800 yards passing so far in the season. 12 touchdowns, only one interception. He's a big guy. He's mobile. He can run the football. Uh, that's the type of quarterback you need in a game like this because they're going to bring the pressure. Yeah. And he's that game's be, in Baton Rouge, too. It's right? in Baton Rouge. So he, like, a lot of it's going to be relying on him if he can expand plays and, you know, make throws on the run and run for first downs because there's going to be a lot of third and fives, third and six, third and sevens to where, you know, that first option and that second option are not available. He's got to expand and make a play. And I think they got the quarterback that's good enough to possibly make plays. Now, I do not think they win this game because I don't think their offense is good enough. Just point forward. I can see that. They have a solid quarterback, but, I mean, you look at at their run game. You look at their receivers that they have. Like, they have solid receivers, but no one really, like, sparks my eye. Like, Malik Neighbors, like, uh, Kayshawn Booty, like – he, I feel like he had a lot of hype around him coming into the year, Kayshawn did. He's supposed to be one of the best receivers in college and football. he hasn't really had a fantastic year. Like, he doesn't even have 300 receiving yards yet on the season. So, I think I think Bama wins this game. I think they can even cover the spread. But we'll see. We'll see. There's yeah. a lot left to be played out. Alabama could get exposed here. I'm going to show you this one more stat before we move past this. So, LSU played Tennessee earlier in the year. You knew that, right? Yes. They did play. And they played at home against Tennessee. Tennessee won that game 40 to 13. I think LSU is a lot better than what they were earlier this A few season. weeks ago. That was about a month ago. They've been winning. I think they, I don't think they've lost a game since then. No, they have not. That is, yeah. They, they lost to Florida State week one in the year in a heartbreak, 24 23. Yeah. They won against a bunch of bums. They got spanked by Tennessee. And then after that, they've won against at Florida and then home against Ole Miss. And that Ole Miss win was a fantastic fucking win. And at Florida. A like, fantastic win. I don't like Florida like some other people do. I don't do. think Florida's good at all, but playing at Florida is a tough task. That stadium is awesome. It's the Gators, man. I get it. They the environment, college yeah. football, yes. it's That's a good win. But the them. more emphasized one is that they beat Ole Miss, seventh team in the country, 45 to 20. They yeah. absolutely smoked them. Yeah. So I, I could agree in these last few weeks, they finally started to ramp it up a little bit. Um, they're not playing, LSU's not playing for a whole lot. And that's exactly no. why I hate college football. They're playing for bragging rights. Yeah. They're playing to try and ruin Bama season. So for that, yeah, maybe I think they can get it done because they are at home too. But just depends what team we get. Bama knows they cannot lose this game. Yeah. It's a must win for Bama. It's a mu- well, Yeah. Without a doubt, it is a must win for Bama. And I, I think they get it done. But we'll see. We'll see. There's a lot to play out. Let's uh, let's move on to the NFL. You know, we're a lot's going on. Week in and week out, we just finished with the trade deadline as it just hit at 4 o'clock on November 1st. And, you know, some crazy things are happening. But I want to take it back to, you know, Halloween night, Monday night football. And that was the Cleveland Browns against Cincinnati Bengals. Ben, what happened to your boys, man? They lost that game 32-13, to 13, and the Browns won that game handily 
I mean, it's, what didn't go wrong? Everything went wrong for the boys. Rant. This is I where you get to rant. Let it out, Ben. What happened? I don't even. I don't even know what to say, man. It's a joke. We're a joke. <laughs> Zach Taylor's a joke. Hot I mean, seat? hot seat, man. You can't lose by what nineteen points because you lost one receiver. Yeah. How, granted, our defense gave up thirty-two. Didn't help us out at all. They got a couple interceptions, but. You know, too many injuries. We got Jamar Chase out. We got Eli Apple out. We got Chidobia Woozy out. Sam Hubbard's hurt. DJ Reader's hurt. There's just, you know, Logan Wilson's been on and off. Trey Hendrickson's been on and off. We just got too many guys out right now. I agree. I mean, that was just, it was an ugly game to watch for a Bengals fan standpoint. Yeah, like, I mean, it's just you, one like, game granted, but, you know, you don't ever expect to lose like this against Jacoby Brissett. I mean, and they were, Jacoby Brissett had a very good ball game. Yeah, no, he, he only, played great. They he played only the, threw it, he the only Browns threw played it, the best game they played all season. He only threw it 22 times and he was 17 for 22, 278 yards and a touchdown. I mean, he was doing, a, he was doing everything within their game plan. Yeah, they executed the game plan perfectly. His execution was fantastic. Nick Chubb, he had 23 carries, tallied right over 100 yards, had two touchdowns. I mean, they were just flowing from start to finish. Yeah. And the Bengals were not. They were struggling. And you could tell they were missing a lot of guys on the defensive end because it's not like the Browns to dominate offensively like that. Like, and granted, they always have the run game, but on all assets of the field. Like, Amari Cooper had 130 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, it's not like... Like, it, that can't happen. And it's not like the Bengals to give up 32 points. That was yeah. by far their worst defensive performance all year. They hadn't let up a second-half touchdown up until last night. Nick Chubb was just too much... Amari Cooper was just too much. And our offense just couldn't get going. Their defensive line killed our offensive line. Joe Burrow took some hits, made them uncomfortable. And, I mean, now, I mean, they take another loss. They fall back to 4-4. Four and four. They're completely out of the playoff race as we look at it right now. I mean, this playoff race has been absolutely bizarre in my eyes to see. Let's go ahead and move over to the NFC before, you know, we can talk about some of these other games, but the Falcons are winning their division right now, 4 and 4. They're the same record as the Bengals, but they're on the other side in a completely different division, probably the worst division in football, and they're leading it at 4 and 4 after a a big win last week against the Panthers, yeah. one that the Panthers <laughs> Panthers blew. If the Panthers won that game, they would have been in the playoffs. So, <laughs> they would have been oh, the 4th well, seed. And the, well, as of right now, yeah, they'd be yeah, they, they, they'd be they'd, they'd be, be leading the division. If they beat the Falcons, Isn't that they crazy? Would be in the the Panthers and, and Falcons matched up this past week, and the winner of that game would take <laughs> over the division. <laughs> like, yeah. so, but that game was definitely one something that I am not used to seeing. PJ Walker and Marcus Mariota. That's an interesting matchup. Um, the Panthers were down six with not a lot of time left on the clock. PJ Walker throws a absolute dart 60 yards downfield to DJ Moore. He scores a touchdown. They tie the game. An extra point can give him the lead and give him the win. But DJ Moore takes his helmet off, technically still on the field, and it gets him a 15-yard penalty that results in them missing the extra point. And then, again, losing in overtime because their kicker missed another one, no T. And it gave the Falcons an opportunity with their kicker, Young Ho Koo. You know he's not going to miss. But did you see that video of DJ Moore taking his helmet off? Uh huh. I that looked very routine to me. I didn't. So they they reviewed it. The NFL reviewed it, and they said it should not have been called a flag. Not because he took it off, but because he was not on the field when he took it off. Yeah, like he was outside of the end zone, like past the. Uh, you uh, see guys do that every week. Yeah, you see it all the fucking time. And what? Because there were still like three seconds left on the clock, or whatever it yeah. was. Like, 
But no, it shouldn't. But it was wrong anyways. Like he was not on the field when he took it off. Yeah. Like if he took it off and there was 10 seconds left and he's just sitting in the end zone, like, okay, that is a penalty because that's a rule. But he wasn't technically on the field. So Pinheiro should have got a, a normal, easy chip shot extra point, and they should have walked out of here leading the division. But instead, it's the other way around. The Falcons got the win, and they're leading the division. Can the Falcons keep it up in the division like this? Can they? I feel like I should be saying no, but the division is so bad that I I just don't know. Like the Buccaneers, man, they lost again. Yeah. They lost again. Yeah. And then, that was a uh, tough Thursday night for him against know. the Ravens. But the Falcons, like, they, they've been without their RB1 for a few weeks now. I mean, they have Marcus Mariota, like, at their quarterback spot. Like, that is not one that you normally want right now, especially for Mariota, who's past his prime in his career. Yeah. He's just – but you look at this, they're sixth in the league in scoring right now. That's Isn't that crazy? That's very surprising. And I don't know where they get it from because Marcus Mariota – 1,400 yards, 10 touchdowns, six picks. I mean, they have they have a committee at the RB spot with uh, Algier and, and Huntley. And then, I mean, they don't have a star receiver. Drake, Lon- Drake London's their star receiver. Drake London and Kyle Pitts, and they've both been disappointing all season long. So where are they? How? That's all I can say. How? Look at this. I mean, they started off 0-2, losing to the Saints, losing to the Rams. They beat the Se- Seahawks in a tough one. They beat the Browns in a tough one. They lost to the Buccaneers on the road. And then in the last three weeks, they've beaten San Francisco and Carolina. They got smacked by your boys a couple weeks ago. But they're finding a way to win ball games. And when I look at this, it's got to be the defense, right? I mean, it's got to be the defense. Their defense got to be. Their defense isn't bad, but. I mean, yeah, they don't have anyone. Sp- the teams that they've played, teams that they've played are, aren't very good. Uh, I mean, they beat the 49ers. That's that is, a fantastic win. That's a great win. They won that game handily. Seahawks, they've been fantastic they all season long. They beat the Seahawks on the road. The Browns, they just pummeled your boys on Monday night. They beat the Browns. Panthers, they're low-key a joke. But yeah. they also dominated the Buccaneers last week, 21-3. Yeah. to three. Like The NFL has been a completely whirlwind yeah, of a season so far this year. It is crazy this year. And, you know, reading off the playoff outlook as of right now, you got the Eagles at the one, and then it moves with the Vikings at six and one, Seahawks at five and three, Falcons at four and four. And then in the wild card spots, it moves to the Cowboys and Giants at six and two. And then the Niners have that last spot at four and four right now. So it's definitely not one that you would expect. The Minnesota Vikings, however, they're six and one. They got another win this past week going up against the Arizona Cardinals at home. And then Kirk Cousins, after the game, you know, they asked him about their record and how he feels about it, how no one really talks about them a whole lot. And he said he loves it. He said he loves flying under the radar. Let's keep it going that way. And let's keep tallying up wins. And as much as I'm not a fan of the Vikings, because I just don't believe that their defense is really like that. And, you know, Kirk Cousins has shown to be flawed. They just went out and they made a pretty decent trade. I mean, Irv Smith, he's going to be out for a few months. They just went and got TJ Hawkinson from a – a division fellow. Um, that's going to be big for them because now they have Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and now TJ Hawkinson on the offensive side with Kirk Cousins uh, controlling the team and throwing the football. I don't see any reason why the Vikings are going to stop doing what they're doing right now. I think that the Vikings are one of those teams that they have a great record, but like 
deep down, like something just doesn't feel right with them. See, but then you let's go what? back to it a little bit. The NFC sucks, Ben. You're, it you're right. It absolutely right. sucks. Everybody in the NFC, for the most part, has a fairly easy schedule this year. Yeah. I want to do our top five rankings and what we think, but I want to get past what we think of what's going on in the NFC and AFC right now. The Vikings can keep winning games. I mean, they got Washington next week. They have a couple tough matchups after that. But then with the rest of the year, I mean, they all, they have the Lions again. They have the Colts again. Um, they're playing Green Bay, who's not playing well at all. They're playing Chicago, who's not very good. And then you don't really know how the Patriots, the Jets, the Giants, how they're going to be playing in a month or two. This team is a team to be reckoned with, and especially in a conference like that. I mean, after the Eagles... There's a, some teams that we can all look at and say, all right, this is the next best team, but no one really knows. Like, in my opinion, it's the Vikings, the Cowboys, and it's the 49ers. It's those three teams. And none of those teams have solidified themselves for anything whatsoever. I mean, the 49ers are still 4-4. Four and four. The, Cow- the Cowboys and Giants, they're both 6-2. and two, But a lot of people don't have faith in Daniel Jones. Um, I personally believe the Cowboys are the second best team in this conference outside of the Eagles. I still need to see a little more from the 49ers. Um, I need to see them get back to 100%, get healthy, get all their boys back. But yeah, what do you think? In me, I think I think it's the Eagles, it's the Cowboys, and it's the 49ers in this conference. I would probably say Eagles, Cowboys, Vikings, 49ers. Okay. I don't think you can leave them out anymore. They have I, too many weapons on offense now, yeah. especially with the addition of TJ Hawkinson. Yeah. You know, he's a top five tight end in the league. It's just, I mean, I, I agree with the Vikings. They're going to be no joke. But I just, I look at this Niners team, and they're a week out from having CMC now. Like, they they have no reason to potentially run the table and win their, go win their division. Like, they're they're better than the Seahawks are. I believe they are. Yeah. I believe they are on both sides of the football. They have the weapons for it on offense now. And, I mean, as much as I love Geno Smith, and I'm not going to write him back, but <laughs> but, you know, Unless we really think Kenneth Walker is that dude, because Kenneth Walker is huge for them, and he's a difference maker. When you able to, when you're able to establish a run game like Kenneth Walker's been able to do, you're a completely different ball club. And I, I'm like the same thing with the Seahawks than I am with the 49ers right now. Like I love them, but I'm not bought in yet. Like I'm, st- I know the Eagles are them. I am bought in on the Cowboys. Dak has had a couple games back now, and. They look, they look like they're picking up right where they left off as if he never left. Zeke did not play last week, and Tony Pollard's looking like he should be the man in that backfield, and that's another debate for another time. But the NFC is definitely an interesting one, and one that I have no idea who's going to go to the Super Bowl on that side. Ugh. I have I like no idea. The, I feel like that's the easiest division to pick a Super Bowl team. No, 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 no. no. The conference it, as a whole? Yeah, because well, the Eagles no, are no, no, so well, much better than everybody else. Like, You think they're just going to... All season long, just Dude, make on, ways. Honestly, not like, lose games. They, they might end at like fifteen and two. They got like that's what I mean. They got to lose games eventually. Do they? Like we've gone through their schedule. Like you know, they have yeah. to play the Giants twice. They have to play the Commanders at least one more time, and they beat the Cowboys. Did they not? Yeah. Yeah. So last week I said that the Cowboys and the Giants were. My two and three in the NFC. Yeah. And they've already proven they can beat those teams. Yeah. I I don't know. I just always go back to what I've been saying all season long. Like, I think the Eagles can be the best team in the conference. They can get the one seed. They can make their way to the NFC championship. But I just don't think they're that team to make the Super Bowl right now. I just feel like they're a year out. Maybe it's me. 
Maybe it's me just, you know what, just buying in Jalen Hurts because I'm a Jalen Hurts fan. You know that firsthand. I'm a huge fan of Jalen Hurts. I'm a huge fan of Nick Sirianni. They're an absolutely fantastic ball club. But just like with a gut feeling, I just don't think they're going to make the Super Bowl because I look on the AFC and there's a lot of talented teams on that side. But I just believe, you know, when push comes to shove, the Bills are going to make the Super Bowl. They're due. They've been due for a few years now. They've been looking to get over that hump. And, you know, they prove it time and time again with the way they play their games as well. And Josh Allen, he he's in – you could debate that he's the best quarterback in the NFL right now. So maybe it's just me. I'm thinking about other teams in the NFC and, like, the Super Bowl should be the Chiefs and the Bills. I would, yeah. That's going to be the – It should. It should <laughs> be. Those are the two best teams in the NFL. It, and just I shame. mean, we're going to see that matchup in the playoffs eventually. Yeah, like, you would. You would. They're hope. they're gonna beat. They're gonna beat the teams they're matching up against until they clash to play each other. So they're gonna play eventually. Like as much as I like the Ravens, I like the Dolphins. I like because the Dolphins just made a big move today, and we'll get to that in just a minute. You know, the Titans have been consistently winning games. The Bengals don't count them out of it, but you know, it's the Bills and it's the Chiefs, and that's really it. Because yeah. the Ravens, they're not. You know, they don't have the weapons offensively to get it done, and I think their defense is solid enough, but I just don't think they have the. They have the weapons around Lamar Jackson. So I count them out of it. So Bills, we're going to see a Bills-Chiefs rematch part three again in the playoffs, and that's going to be probably game of the year. There's so many teams in the AFC that I think could make their way to the top. Like, for like example, who? like the Chargers right now are sitting out on the wild card as the seven seed, and I think that they have the best roster in the league. Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen, Mike Will, Austin Eckler, you got – on the other side, Kalomac, J.C. Jackson, Derwin James, like they have Bosa. guys, Bosa, like they have one of the best rosters in the league. And if they can put it together, like the Chargers are a scary team. Uh, you think they have a better roster than the Bills, fam? The Bills do not really have a run game, and they just traded for Naheem Hines to. He's going to be a big. Addition. I'm putting my quote unquote fingers up right now. Change that, but I mean their run game's fine because of how dominant and lethal their offense is. And then you have Stephon Diggs, you have Gabe Davis, you have uh, Isaiah McKenzie, and then I mean on the defensive side, there's a million names that I'm reading off that I could list right now. Like it's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> Von Miller, Tre'Davious White, Jordan Poirier. I mean, like, the list just goes on and on. Like, they are stacked on both sides. They are. And with a quarterback like Josh Allen leading the tide, like, they're the best team in football. Yeah, no. I they, think they're, they're winning the Super Bowl this year. I'm going to stand by that. So, you know, trade deadline. It happened today at 4 o'clock. There was a lot of moves that were made, and I'm going to list them off real quick. TJ Hawkinson, he just got moved from the Lions to the Vikings. Chase Claypool, Steelers just sent him out to the Bears. Roquan Smith, a huge move for the Ravens. They just got him from the Bears. Um, Bradley Chubb, a move that we were kind of, we saw it coming. They just moved him to the Dolphins. Uh, the, Do the Dolphins just gave him Chase Edmonds back, so that's another running back. And the whole committee they got there in Denver. Jeff Wilson, they just got rid of him in San Francisco, and they moved him to the Dolphins because they don't really need him anymore. They got CMC. He's, he's the fullback workload. He's going to be on the field 90% of the time. Calvin Ridley, a man that we have not seen at all in a long time, and we will not see him till next year. He just got traded to the team he bet against to what got him suspended <laughs> to the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> and then the last one, Naheem Hines, he got moved from the Colts to the Bills. But with all these trades that I'm saying, they're not that big. I would say a couple of these are pretty, pretty essential for some of these teams that are going to try and compete for the playoffs. What's the biggest trade you take out of this? What's the biggest move? 
Hawk to the Vikings is a big one. Really? But my my favorite one, everybody's shitting on the Bears for this. But Chase Claypool. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. Keep talking. Yeah. All right. Keep talking. So I so the Bears know that they're not gonna I mean, the NFC is so bad, so you can't even count them out. But everybody knows that the Bears are not a playoff team. They're not even close to a Super Bowl. They're not worried about that. I think the Bears are most worried about the development of Justin Fields. And to get him a guy that's, you know, 6'3", that he can just, like, throw it up to. Obviously, Chase Claypool is not the best. But he's somebody that he's can throw it up to, and he's going to be wide receiver two on that team. He's better wide receiver than... receiver two? I think he's wide receiver one on that team. You think he's better than Darnell Mooney? I think he's better than Darnell Mooney. I think I think Darnell Mooney's a solid receiver. If you think he's better than Darnell Mooney, that's a huge trade. I don't think he's as good as Darnell See, Mooney. but I, I don't think it's that big of a deal because I don't think either of them are that good, you know? Like, I think Justin Fields is getting better and better every week, and I think by making a trade like that, they solidified Justin Fields as their guy. And I think that's kind of deserving, you know, with the way he's been playing the last yeah, few weeks. He's, he's been playing, some, their he's offense. Been playing some fantastic football. And with the shitty offense they have, he's been doing surprisingly well, honestly. Yeah. So I'm impressed. I'm yeah, I am um, I'm extremely impressed with Justin Fields. And I think that they made this move to help him out. Yeah. Oh, without you know, a doubt. They, they, they I know. mean, I'm I'm upset they didn't get a better weapon for him. Yeah. But you know, the crazy thing is that all the teams in that division made moves to get weapons for their offense, except one team. And I bet you could guess what that team is. The Green, the Green Bay Packers. Like, what the fuck are they doing? Aaron Rodgers was on the Pat McAfee show this morning, knowing that the trade deadline was coming out, and he was saying how excited he was. Like, hopefully we make a move. Hopefully we get us a receiver. Hopefully we go get us Brandon Cooks from the Texans, or hopefully we go get this guy. They were silent today. They were completely silent. Um, sad. And I know we got off topic a little bit talking about that because that makes me sad. I feel yeah. bad for Aaron Rodgers. Like, holy crap, can you get this guy something to help him out? Like, I don't know if they know this. <laughs> Alan Lazard's hurt, but Alan Lazard, Romeo Dobbs, Sammy Watkins. Christian Watson. Christian Watson. They're not good enough. And Rob they're Tanyan. Not, they're Rob not, Tanyan. They're, There's your receiving Bob core. Tanyan. As your, <laughs> it's not good enough. And he can't just sling the football to his running backs all day long. No. Like, that's just not how it works. Yeah. Yeah, I feel bad for him. But me, the biggest trade that I think was personally made, I think it's Bradley Chubb to the Dolphins. That one was huge. Like, that is just another way. Like, because the Dolphins, they're going to be competing in the playoffs this year. I, I 100% believe that. That they're going to be. You think gonna, they're making a wild card I think, spot? I think they make a wild card spot. I think, and, you know, obviously I don't think they can make the biggest noise. But when you're there, you're competing against whoever you want and you believe you can win a game. And their defense has been solid. Their offense is absolutely fantastic now that two is back. We got to pray that he does not get butt in the head again because that guy is – he's one, one big hit out one from his career away being from over. retiring. Yeah. yeah. It's close. <laughs> but he's been slinging the football since he's been back. It's like he's never left. And he's running the football and – Going after defenders like he never got injured in the first place. I can't believe it. But on the defensive side, that is a huge get for them. Like their defense has already been solid, but then you add a guy like Bradley Chubb. And I was saying this to you before we got on air. Bradley Chubb is third in the league right now. And uh, he's third in the league in pressure rate. And it was behind uh, Miles Garrett and the other guy... I don't remember exactly who the other guy was. I was listening to PTI and they were talking about this. And I was I was very shocked. I was like, holy fuck, Bradley Chubb's third in the league in this? Like, holy cow. And he just got moved to the Dolphins for, I mean, for a few picks or a couple picks in Chase Edmonds. But 
they don't care about that. They're in win now mode. So I, I think there's a difference maker for them. It's another weapon for them on the defensive end. I think the trade was good for both ways because Really? Yeah. Well, Denver got, you know, Javante Williams. He's So Javante Williams is out for the year. Yeah. Right now, it's Melvin Gordon as their main back, who they don't even like. Chase, and Chase Latavius Murray. Start. Chase Edmonds is going to start for them. They, That's they, why I think they said after the trade them. that they said that as of right now, Melvin Gordon's still their main guy. Really? I, I believe that changes in a couple weeks. Yeah. I think that I don't think they trade for Chase Edmonds for no reason. Granted, it was more trade in a way, um, Bradley Chubb, but still, you know, you. If you're asking for a running back back, you're asking him back for a reason. Melvin Ingram was the one guy I was not thinking of on the Dolphins' defense. That's an, that's another guy you're tanning up at the linebacker position. That's absolutely ridiculous. So that's going to be huge for them. I want to hear your power rankings halfway through the season because we are halfway through the season now, believe it or not. Who do you got in your top five power rankings throughout the whole league? Uh, top three are easy. Bills, Chiefs, Eagles. Okay. That's without question. Um why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Keep going. <laughs> uh, I'm probably going to have to say, so Bills, Chiefs, Eagles. I'm probably going to go, I'm probably going to go Vikings. Okay. At four? Yeah. Okay. And okay. then uh, five, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go Ravens. Okay. Uh, I need to hear the Why? Why? The why? Why? For which one? First three are obvious. First three are obvious. Number four, I'm picking Vikings. They're six and one. They have some of the best offensive weapons in the game on their team. Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, TJ Hawkinson. They're all top five in their respected position. I don't know. I think they're uh, they're coming different this year. You know, most people think of the Vikings and at this point, they're, they normally be, you know, four and three, three and four. You know, they're normally a 500 team, but this year they're, they're six and one halfway through the season. And I think they're, I think they're here to stay. I think there are some underlying issues on defense, but that offense has just, just got a lot better. And I think they're going to continue to yeah. make some noise in the NFC. Yeah. No, I like that. I really do. I mean, all those teams are fantastic ball clubs, obviously. I mean, they've been proven it week in and week out. So it's well deserving for me. Um, when I do my rankings right now, I think the Bills are the best team in the league, but I put the Eagles at one. Okay. Because if they can consistently dominate teams like the way they've been doing to literally perfection, because they do it to near perfection almost every single week, it impresses me. So I, I put them at one, and then I go ahead and toss the Bills at two. They do have the loss, so I toss them at two. I put the Chiefs right behind them at three. I still think the Chiefs are a lethal ball club. Um, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey is really all I got to say <laughs> in that matter. Um, but then four and five, like you said, that's kind of the tough spot. And at four is where I go ahead and put the Cowboys, and that's because they have one of the best defenses in the league. They have Micah Parsons. They have Trayvon Diggs. And then, I mean, they're running. I think their running back tandem plays a key part in that too because Dak Prescott's fantastic. CeeDee Lamb, he's getting better each and every week. Um, it seems like their connection's just building up more and more. But Tony Pollard really is the X factor in that. And I hate talking about it because Nick Davis loves Tony Pollard, dude. Yeah, he He's does. probably his favorite guy in all of the NFL. <laughs> like he, but you know what? You know, there was no Zeke this past week, and what did he do with it? Only 14 carries. He almost had 150 yards. He's and how many touchdowns was it? Three. It was a lot. It was three. It was a lot of touchdowns. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, he's he's proved he's proven 
I mean, I don't know how he hasn't proven to their team and to Jerry Jones yet that he deserves to be the main back. But they said after the game, you know, like Zeke's still part of this team. He's going to continue to be a part of this team. Zeke's going to continue to get his touches. But what I like with that backfield is that it kind of gives them a change of pace. Like what I would like to see out of them is make Tony Pollard the main guy, make him that explosive back out of the backfield, that receiving back. And then you bring Zeke down on maybe like a third down or like a second and long or something like just a change of pace, you know, to give a different type of feel to the what the other opposing defense is seeing granted they've been doing that all year long but if they can switch it up a little bit because right now Ezekiel Elliott's getting the majority of the touches I would like to see that swap I would like to see Tony Pollard get a lot of the carries up the gut and I would like to see Zeke come in as a change of pace guy you know after a lot of Pollard runs explosive runs and I I mean I still think they need Zeke and pass protection so he's going to be key for them and then with my fifth team in the league um, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because they are 4-4 four and four right now, but I, I put the 49ers as my fifth-best team in the league right now. And granted, they've been off and on as the season's been going on, but when I look at the matchup they just played last week, they went up against the defending champs in the Los Angeles Rams. They went on the road to play in SoFi Stadium, and they dominated that game. They won that game 31-14, to and Christian McCaffrey had every touchdown you could think of. He... First time in how many years? I can't remember who was the last guy to do it. I think it was 05. A passing touchdown, a receiving touchdown, and a rushing touchdown for Christian McCaffrey. He brings a different type of explosiveness to that offense that is going to be huge for them come playoff time. I don't think people understand the significance that Christian McCaffrey brings. Like He is, in my opinion, a top-two running back in the NFL. He is. like Just the, the mobility from that guy, the – the way his elusiveness, you know, his quickness. He can the, do it all. He can do everything and he can do it all to perfection. He can pass block, you know. Yeah. He can do everything. And so while they're sitting at a 4-4 four and four record, barely in the wild card spot right now, I think there's a lot of season left to go and there's going to a lot of proving to do. And they got the game manager, literally the game manager in the NFL and Jimmy Garoppolo. So... And their defense is – it's a great defense. It's another one of those top in the league that you don't like going up against. Yeah. So they, the 49ers round out my top five. I like that. Yeah. Before we get away from the NFL a little bit, I want to I hear your picks for this these upcoming matchups because um, I'm pretty interested in them. And some of them, you know, they're, they have big implications, and it's going to matter down the line. So the first one I want to talk about, it's the four and three Chargers. They're traveling to Atlanta to go up against the Atlanta Falcons. Falcons are a three-point underdog in this game. You think they can win this game, or you think the Chargers got it? Because the Chargers are dealing with some injuries right now. I think the Chargers are going to win this game, coming off the bye. I know it's in Atlanta, but there's there's no reason they should lose this game. And I think it's a must-win for the Chargers. Yeah. No, that's arguable. I'm going to... Go ahead and take the Chargers with you just because I don't believe in the Falcons hype. I think that changes as the season goes on. I think they fall out, and I don't think they eventually make the playoffs. Just because I don't really know where it's coming from. Like, it doesn't – like, I watch – it's not like I don't watch the games. I watch the games. Like, Marcus Mariota, he's a, he's a ball player. You know, he can make plays. Their defense, they get stops when they need it. But just doesn't add up in my head, and I think that's going to change, and I wouldn't be shocked if it changes this week. I got the Chargers. Um, the three and four Rams, they're traveling to three and five Buccaneers. Buccaneers are a three-point favorite in this game. Both teams are struggling so far this season. The Rams, are they're coming off a Super Bowl. Um, who you got in this game? And you see either of these teams turning the tide? Uh, I think I'm going to take the Bucs in this game at home. I think they turn it around this week and 
you know, finally show us some good ball, something they've been struggling with all year. Yeah, I'm taking the Bucks. I think Tom Brady's going to turn it around. I think I'm taking the Rams in this game. Okay. And it's because, you know, I was saying it last week, and I'm going to continue to say it. Like, I believe in the Bucks. I was saying when we first started this podcast, I think the Buccaneers are going to the Super Bowl. And it's because with the roster they have, like, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever <laughs> that they do not strive. Strive, thrive. They low-key mean the same thing. But, I mean, maybe just Tom Brady, you know, dealing with the divorce with his wife, maybe it does bring that big of a toll to him because their team revolves around Tom Brady. That's just how it works. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't see it last week. I mean, they were in a tight game with the Ravens on Thursday night. But, you know, they got another tough matchup against the Rams who also they need a win this week. They need it bad. And, you know, I feel like this is just the perfect chance for them to hop on that that opportunity that the Bucks aren't playing their best football. And I don't see it changing. I think the smart bet is uh, Rams spread in case they do lose by a field goal, but uh, I wouldn't be afraid from taking a money line either. Um, the 5-3 and three Seahawks, they're going up against the 3-5 and five Cardinals on the road. Arizona is a two-point favorite in this game. This is another huge matchup as this is within the division. Can the Seahawks keep it rolling or do the Cardinals pull it off? Uh, I actually think the Cardinals will win this game. I think D-Hop's really been playing well. I know they got Marquise Brown out, so they're they're they're, they're missing their uh, second best weapon. Yeah, but I think uh, at the end of the day, Kyler's just going to be too much for the Seahawks defense. And I know Gino's been playing great. Seahawks have been playing great ball. They just beat the Giants, but no, I'm I'm rolling with you. Yeah, I think I, the got, I got the Cardinals are. in this game. I think yeah. they're finally starting to pick it up a little bit. I mean, I think they played solid football last week. The Vikings are just, you know, one of those teams that's hot right now. Um, but I think they turned around. They're at home. They need this win. They can't fall to three and six. I think they get it done. Um, and then the last game I want to ask you about, it's Sunday night football. Um, five and two Titans traveling to Kansas City, taking on the Chiefs. Um, can the Titans work any magic in this game, or is this a Chiefs blowout? I think the Chiefs are going to win this game. They're at home. One thing I am surprised about is I don't think I've ever seen a – 12 and a half point spread in the NFL. When two like, teams are five and two? Yeah, they both have, have the same record. So it's, it's because the Titans are frauds. They are frauds. I agree. Tannehill's a fraud. Only, they have Derrick Henry, and that is it. Yeah, that's their whole team. Yep. So, you know, if he can have 250 rushing yards and three touchdowns, again. maybe they get it done. Yeah, if he can do I, that again in back-to-back weeks, yeah. then maybe, maybe they cover the spread. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I think the Chiefs win this game, and I think the Chiefs cover the spread. Like, they're just, you know, they're one of those – powerhouse teams in the NFL right now to where like if they get ahead of you early they can they can blow it out you yeah. know they can blow it out of proportion and I think that's exactly what happens on Sunday night I think I just don't think the Titans have the weapons to be able to compete with the Chiefs and I think the Chiefs have a good enough defense defensively to stop Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry because if Derrick Henry cannot get going they have no chance in this game yeah I agree they have yeah no chance if Derrick Henry doesn't play well all right, you ready? Hoops, hoops, hoops. The league. NBA, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Basketball is my favorite sport. <laughs> I like it when I dribble up and down the coat. Another crazy week in the NBA. Um, but one of the first things I want to talk to you about is we've gotten a little bit of a sample size without some teams now. Um, we've seen some interesting teams being able to get some wins throughout the league this year, but. I want to go back to the beginning of the season and the offseason moves that were made within some of the some of the franchises. And I have a list right here for you for some of the top ones. And it's, you know, Donovan Mitchell move, uh, getting moved to the Cavs. DeJounte Murray moving to the Hawks. Jalen Brunson, 
He's signed and potential tampering, potential to come out with it, but he's on the Knicks. Ben Simmons, this is his first time ever playing with his new organization. I consider him a new player and a new destination. Ben Simmons in the Nets. And then Christian Wood on the Mavericks. He's been coming off the bench playing six-man for him. He's been absolutely fantastic. But with the names that I say right there, which one you know sparks your eye the most and is the biggest factor? Uh, Go I ahead, mean, say it, because I agree with you. Donovan Mitchell? Yeah. No, I know you agree with me. I know you hate to say it because you're a C's fan. <laughs> Donovan Mitchell on the Cavs is they're going to be a dangerous team. You know, Donovan Mitchell's playing his best ball right now from what I've seen. And they're missing their starting point guard. And I'm just, I'm excited to see that backcourt duo play together because I truly believe that they're going to be one of the top three backcourts in the NBA. Yeah. See, I, I agree that Donovan Mitchell is the biggest factor out of all these new new players, new destination factors, because, you know, DeJounte Murray, I still figure, think he's figuring out the kinks uh, with the Hawks and Trey Young. I do think that is a better backcourt. You do? Than the Cavs, but I'll get on to that in a second. Um, Jalen Brunson with the Knicks. I mean, that's just the New York Knicks for you. He's playing solid ball, um, not consistent ball, but he's doing him. Ben Simmons, he's exactly what everyone thought he was. He's not proving anybody wrong. He's completely afraid to shoot the basketball. He's afraid to get fouled, and he's a liability on offense. So it's not him. Christian Wood, people can make a debate that Christian Wood's one of the biggest uh, trades for a team, new player, new destinations in the NBA, because the Mavericks did lose Jalen Brunson. They don't have a lot of big names, you know, with Dory Finney-Smith. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie and company, but they did go and get Christian Wood. And a lot of people are off and on on Christian Wood, don't know how they're doing. And I even heard some inside scoop in the offseason that they weren't a fan of Christian Wood after bringing him in. You know, two weeks in and to having him, he was always there and they hated him. They hated his mindset. They hated, you know, I don't, I don't want to say hate. I guess that's a strong word, but it wasn't connecting. It wasn't meshing from the sources I was getting. But yet, you know, the season's obviously off to the races right now and we're two weeks in. The Mavs are sitting at two and three, but every single game they play in, it's a tight ball game, and it's either a Luka makes a game winner, misses a game winner, and they lose and go to OT. It's whatever. But Christian Wood has been absolutely fantastic. Like, I mean, averaging 17 points a game right now and eight rebounds, I feel like that's not even, like, saying as much as what he's really been doing because he started off the season with 25, 25, and 23. He's kind of slowed it down a bit, but he's not getting the shots off that he was earlier in the year. So I think he's huge for them. But now let's go back to the Cavs and Donovan Mitchell. I truly believe, you know, getting Donovan Mitchell, watching these first few weeks, with having that young team around him like that, you know, with Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, Isaac Okoro, Dean Wade, with a veteran, with Kevin Love, and they haven't even had their point guard in Darius Garland for basically the entire season, they can compete in the Eastern Conference. Now, can they make it to the finals? Can they get past those top teams? That's a question we're going to have to wait to see till, the, till we get there. But he, like you said, Donovan Mitchell's playing his best basketball of his career right now. And I think it's just working perfectly and it's meshing with that team because that team is hungry. That team has talent all across the board and they are deep, you know, like when one guy's not rolling, they can just move on to the next guy. And Donovan Mitchell rolls every single night. So it's impressive to watch so far. A question that I'm very interested to see, um, I'm very curious if Darius Garland comes back tomorrow night for the game we attend, but their sole loss is the game that Darius Garland did play in, and they've been absolutely fantastic since he's been out. I am very curious to see if when Garland comes back, are there, you know, like 
problems offensively, chemistry issues, offensive problems with how many touches guys are getting. Because right now, Karis LeVert, I mean, granted, he just came off a one-point game a few days ago, but the game before that, he had 41 on my Celtics. Like he, A lot of guys on that team are getting a lot more usage without Darius Garland, and when Darius Garland comes back, they're going to have to learn to fall back into that, you know, like five, six shots a game type roles. And, you know, when you're playing like that, it's, you know, it's going to take some time to adjust. So are you asking me if I think the Cavs are better without Darius Garland? <sighs> I'm kind of <laughs> asking that. You no, that like because Darius Garland got he got hurt halfway through the game he did play in. Yeah, he did. And a lot of people thought we lost that game because he got hurt. I mean, I wasn't saying that exactly. I was just saying, you know, they did they happened to lose in the one game he was playing in. Yeah. I think they'll be fine cuz you know, they were practicing with him starting in the lineup the whole preseason. Yeah. It's and he is a shooter, but Darius Garland is an underrated passer, in my opinion. He's their point guard, without yeah. a doubt. He's their point guard. Yeah, yeah. But he's an, he's underrated at distributing the ball. Most people think of Darius Garland, think he's just a three point shooter. He was averaging eight and a half assists last season. So yeah, he's, he he was dishing it out. He's a playmaker, you know. Yeah, and I think that two and eight. I think he's only going to be a. I guess I'm ass, not like. I guess I'm not like asking you that. Like, yes, I was asking you that, but like. Do we see problems arising, you know, with a team like this? Because they're playing absolutely great, and it seems like with Donovan Mitchell running that guard spot, like he runs the one a little bit, like he's thriving under it. He's been absolutely tremendous. Huh? It's kind of it's interesting to watch because I even see him two seven and four and a half. They even have I mean, Karis Levert taking the ball up the court sometimes. Yeah. So it's just that yes, they have been playing well, but you know we're only six games into the season and. When Darius Garland comes back and you have that established point guard position, I think everybody can play their role well, and I think I think it'll all work out for them. You know, they might they might struggle when he comes back, but at the end of the day, Darius Garland is definitely an asset for the Cavaliers. Yeah, no, you're probably right. You, I mean, you are right. Darius Garland is a huge asset. He's the he's the second best player on that team, arguably. Yeah. Um, some people even think he's the best, but yeah. he is not. Donovan Mitchell's better Donovan than him. Donovan Mitchell's better than but, I mean, just with the with what they got on that team, I mean, Evan Mobley, he looks tremendous. Jared Allen, we know what he can bring to the table. He's a great rebounder, great player defensively. Can you see them competing in the Eastern Conference? Can you see them beating a team like the Philadelphia 76ers in the series or like the Brooklyn Nets? Celtics. You can ask that. I personally do not think they can beat the Celtics in a seven-game series, but you can argue that if you want. I'd have to see at the end of the season. Um, Because there are guys that... Most people would think as nobodies, but guys like Jetty Osmond and Dean Wade, like they are huge additions to the team, and like no one talks about them because of their nobodies. But I mean, we I, we talk about them a little bit. Yeah, I mean, granted, but, we live in a household full of fucking Cleveland fans, so it's a pain in the ass. But nah, I I think I think you know a, what I mean. Like nah, Jetty's nah, nah, playing nah, nah, great nah, nah, nah. ball. I like, think I think a sole reason why they are fantastic is because they have the depth that they do. Yeah. I think depth in the NBA is an underrated factor when it comes to being a successful team like the Brooklyn Nets and a successful last year. franchise. The Brooklyn Nets now, the Brooklyn Nets in the last three years, no they depth. have fantastic top guys, yeah. but the guys around them, are, are they're not good at all whatsoever. Mm. I mean, like, yeah, Joe Harris, Seth Curry, Royce O'Neal, guys like that, but they're not that good. Good when they're you watch them play, they're when you, not. When you they're not series. that good. You can't rely on them like that. Like I'm about to sound a little biased here, but you know, like a Grant Williams, like a Malcolm Brogdon, 
a Robert Williams when he comes back, you know, like a Derek White. Um, uh, Robert, Robert Williams isn't a role player like that, though. I mean, he's the third best player on our team. Yeah, he's he, great. He's, he's a fantastic yeah, player. Yeah, he's great. Even And then even when we talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers, Karis LeVert, Kevin Love, Jetty Osman, those names aren't pretty, but Jetty Os- I've seen Jetty Osman play enough. He's a good He's a good player. basketball player. He deserves to be in the league. He plays he, hard. He does it on both ends too. Yeah, he Granted, plays hard. When he has when he has guys a little bigger than him, you know, very skilled offensively, he can struggle. But that's how it is with anyone in the league. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see some shakeup with the Cavs if they can make some noise come playoff time. I still need to see a little bit more to believe that they can get over and be a top three team in the conference because I'm not giving up on the 76ers yet. As much as I hate them, they have. They have just their roster way, way too good, way too good, and then I mean we'll see, we'll see how the Brooklyn Nets do with my boy Ime Odoka. I mean it's not fi- it's not finalized yet, but as of right now it's looking like my my old boy Ime Odoka is going to be the new head coach of the Brooklyn Nets, and that's an interesting conversation within itself. I mean. He played, or excuse me, he coached a year there before he came over to Boston, and he knows that group really well. I'm very interested to see if he can turn that team around because I don't really know where you go to to try and fix that team. Like, where do you get the defense from? Like, I think think he's going to fix their offense, and I think their offense becomes a threat to everybody no matter who they're playing because that's how it should be right now anyways. Yeah. But defensively, I don't know if their ways are going to change. And I get it. They're trying to bring Ime in to fix that, but – you know, when he went into a team like the Celtics, you know, they have the team to have a good defense. The Nets do not. Yeah, they don't have guys that, like, like to play defense. Like, Kevin Durant and Kyrie don't like to they play don't. defense. They don't They're at all. strictly offensive guys. Yep. And so it's it's going to be a tough challenge for Ime to want to get these guys to play defense and really challenge them. But I think that, I don't know, man. Like, because everybody thought Ben Simmons was some great defender, and all he does is foul out of games and score seriously, six points. Like seriously, I'm right with you there. Honestly. Having said that, against I'm right fucking with you. I think it was the Magic Mavericks hit a big steal against Luca at the end of the game, resulting in a KD dunk. I think they ended up losing the game anyway. Yeah, no, he, I mean, he 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 has potential to be a really good defender, but he just plays way too scared. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd agree completely. Or he acts reckless at times too, you know? And I think that has something to do with him not playing in two years, you know? He's got to be able to get that rhythm back, get that flow of playing in these games every other night, you know? So I think he's still working that out. But as of right now, with his shooting problems, I don't see that changing at all. And him being scared to shoot the ball and attack the basket because he might get fouled, I don't see that changing at all. Unless he fixes his ways, he shoots his free throws. Because he's afraid to shoot free throws. Like, if you're afraid to shoot free throws, then that's another problem within itself, you know? So there's a lot to shake out in that Eastern Conference. A couple couple teams I want to shout out before we move past this. Um, One is the Portland Trailblazers. They didn't make really a whole lot of moves this offseason, yet they're playing fantastic ball. Um, They're at the top of the Western Conference right now. Damian Lillard's leading the way with 31-5-4. Um, Anthony Simons, he's another guy that's stepping up big time, looking to potentially make the all-star game this year. He's averaging 20. Um, I lied. They did have, they do have Jeremy Grant now. Now that I'm thinking about it, that's a huge asset for them. Um, and then Yusuf Nurkic, Shaden Sharp, Josh Hart. They got a bunch of guys. I'm very curious to see if they can keep it going. And then the Utah Jazz and my, my old boys club, Danny Ainge. 
I mean, he completely traded their whole squad away to go get the assets for the future, and yet they're still somehow winning ball games. And that's all to the, I mean, give props to Laurie Markkinen. He's been absolutely fantastic this year. And they have a bunch of guys around him, Jordan Clarkson, Colin Sexton, Kelly Olenek, Mike Conley, THT, Rudy Gay. Like, they still have a solid roster, and that's all props. That's a solid roster. Is it? Dude, they're winning games. They are winning games. No, it's not. No, it's not a top team in the league roster. Not at all. They don't. They don't have an all star. But you know, like it's not like it's a uh, Houston Rockets in my opinion. Yeah, it's not even an Oklahoma City Thunder in my opinion. Like they, Colin Sexton comes off the bench. You know that. I didn't know that. He comes off the bench right now because they start Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson, and that's something I think they should change. I think they should move to Clarkson coming off the bench. That's more of his role. Yeah. But Laurie Markin, and if he can keep thriving. You never know. This team could compete, you know, and uh, toy around with that plan come the end of the year. But like we said, we're only two weeks into the season. A lot more to work itself out. I'm just very, very impressed by the Utah Jazz right now and the way they've been able to win games. They just swept the Grizzlies this past weekend in a back-to-back series. They won both games. Yeah, Jaw missed one of those games. Jaw did miss one of those games, but he was back for the second game. Yeah. Still lost. Yeah. Um. The last guy I want to talk about before we move out of the NBA, Paolo Bancaro. That guy's a future superstar. Yeah. And he's already looking like potential all-star status right now. Yeah. Like with the way he's playing right now, I, I mean, let me double check these stats right here, but he's he's averaging over 22 points a game right now. No, I mean, he's in... As a rookie, he's averaging 22.7 with seven rebounds and four assists right now. Yeah, he's... That is so out of the ordinary from any rookie. I don't care who you are. He's the best player on the Magic. <laughs> he is. He is the best player on the Magic. And but just seeing a pro-ready guy like this, yeah. you know, it's just so impressive to see. Like, can can Paolo make an All-Star game this year? I know, right? Maybe, dude. If he's he could, if he's averaging twenty-three, seven, and four, that's All-Star games numbers. He could All-Star game numbers. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on. I think I think he's a lock for Rookie of the Year. I think he's going to compete to make the All-Star game. And they're also going to compete to go get Victor Wembanyama next year. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be that'd be scary. Because I mean, as well, guys. yeah. Because I mean, as well as he plays each game in and out, you know, like they don't win ball games. He doesn't have any the rest guys. Of the team is so bad. Yeah, I mean, they <laughs> not nah, they. I mean, when I list out the names they have on their roster, it's a so, it's another team where I'm like, that's a solid roster, but like, I mean, I wouldn't expect Paolo to go win me games right now. He's he's a rookie. You know, and that's, you know, a step he'll take and he'll take as time goes on in his career. But, you know, with Cole Anthony as your second best scorer, Franz Wagner, Wendell Carter, Jalen Suggs only averaging 12 a game this year. You know, you need more from him. Terrence Ross averaging 11 a game. You need more from him. Bull Bull, um, he's averaging 11 a game. I mean, that's probably right around the mark you need from him. Um, I'm a big fan of Bull Bull, though. I'm also going to be interested in the magic and see what how they do this year, if they can find a way to pile together wins or if they're just going to let Paolo do him and try and go get Victor at the end of the year. Yeah, we're, we're almost finished here. We, we got to finish up with, you know, the World Series, um, one of the craziest things that are going on right now. Game three got delayed yesterday. It's being played tonight right after this podcast gets finished. It's probably about a, um, it's probably about a tip-off right about now or first pitch. I don't know what the word is would be for that. The series is tied 1-1 right now. And due to the due to the off day, the Phillies are, instead of Syndergaard, they're going to Ranger Suarez for their pitcher to start tonight. And uh, the Astros are sticking with Lance McCullers Jr. 
this series is so so far from being finished. We've only seen two games. It's one to one. The big aspect I really got out of this series is that the Phillies starting pitchers, they're getting rocked and they're getting rocked right away. And that's what happened in the first two ball games. And as much as you love to see that they're changing to Suarez to start, because he comes in um, as a relief sometimes as well in the playoffs for him. But he's starting tonight. And a lot of people think that's huge for the Phillies. I'm more interested to see if they if their team as a total on their pitching staff can find a way to slow down this Astros offense. Because Altuve finally able he's finally able to get going a little bit in the World Series, one that we probably all could have predicted. He he has four hits in the two games. Um what what I don't I don't even know what to ask you because there's so much that still needs to be played out. But except can the Astros get slowed down? Can the Phillies find a way to pull this off? Because by the time we're doing this podcast next week, we're gonna we are gonna know who won the World Series. Uh, I think that I think the Phillies can pull it off. They have a great roster. They we do. knew coming into the series that the Astros had a better bullpen, and they still know. have a better bullpen. And that's why some people disagree. But I think you know having this extra off day. It's huge for the Astros to get started because in the World Series for baseball, it's 2-3-2. So we're going to have three straight games in Philadelphia. So for them to have, you know, back-to-back off days, I guess, so to speak, because they haven't played since Saturday. You know, that's the longest break a lot of teams normally get in baseball in general. Better yet, the World Series. Yeah. So they've had a lot of time to stay rested and get prepared. And I think that puts the advantage to the Astros' bullpen because – you know they'll have they'll have all their stuff working. They'll be juiced, um, not illegally, but they'll be legally juiced for the rest of the series <laughs> coming up. <laughs> um, have you seen that people think they're cheating again? Yeah, I have. That's ridiculous. I mean, I don't know. You're, <laughs> they probably are cheating again, but you're you're always innocent until proven guilty. Um, and I don't know. Your Navarez, I, I got a lot of respect for that brother. He's just been absolutely, he's been their guy. Like they have a bunch of star players. Kyle Tucker's been fantastic so far this World Series. Um, but, you know, Alvarez is still their main guy, in my opinion, yeah. without Tuve struggling. Um, but on the Philly side, they've been able to get hits. They've had, it's been pretty close, about one hit off between the Astros and them, both these games. And in the first game, they got dominated early. They found a way to come back throughout halfway through the game, and then it took it to extras, and they got it done. In the second game, the same thing happened. They got dominated early on. They gave up five runs in the first two innings or whatever it was. And then, except that game, they just they couldn't find a way to come back. But they're able to get men left on base. I believe last game, they left seven total guys left on base. They got to find a way to fix that if they're going to win this World Series. And I totally believe this is completely up in the air because of how equally matched these teams are. I truly believe these teams are pretty closely matched with the way the Phillies are deep in their lineup and how they can hit one through nine. But the Astros, man, I don't want to say it, but this is their World Series to lose. And I think it starts again tonight. And if the Phillies got to, it starts in this game three, they're at home. If they're going to win this game, their pitching has to be good enough. They can't give up a lot of runs early. They can't be playing from behind all series long. And if this becomes a routine like it has been the first two, whoa, whoa. Come on, how you about to show this to me as we're talking about baseball right now? <laughs> let, let me finish. Let me, let me, let me. Let, let's finish up this baseball talk. I think the Phillies can do it. I really do. 
But I don't think they're going to because I just think the Astros pitching core is going to be too much for them to handle because they're number one and number two guy, guys that have been dominant all playoffs and all throughout the season and Aaron Nolan, Zach Wheeler. They got rocked in their first two games against the Astros. And I really don't think that's going to change when they play in game five and game six. So the Phillies got a way to put in runs. They got to do it. And they got the, I think if they win this series, it's going to be because the overs are hitting in all these games. And I just, I'm not going to say it because I want them to win. Astros are kind of they're kind of the better team. <laughs> yeah, that's all I'm going to say <laughs> for that aspect. It should be really interesting. You got who you got in this World Series? You sticking with the Astros? I'm sticking with the A, man. Yeah, sticking, sticking the a, with Houston. Sticking with Houston. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It should be a fun one. Um, we'll see if the bats can get going tonight and as the series progresses. Um, but by the time next week, when we talk about this, we'll have a champion and it should be fun to play out. So don't forget to tune in. They play, they play uh Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, and then they got the off day before they finish off in Houston on Saturday and Sunday. Um, so don't forget to check that out before I get out of here. I want to talk about the new college football playoff that just came out from the college football playoff committee. They just put Tennessee at the number one spot. And I, I mean, I, I can't blame them at all whatsoever, but no. They have, the best, they have the best strength to schedule. They have the best strength to schedule teams. right now, and they have the best win in all of college football right now. So in the college football playoff committee, they they go they went ahead and put Tennessee at one. They put Ohio State at two, the Georgia Bulldogs at three, and then they put Clemson, which is another eye popper to me. They put Clemson at four with Michigan at five and Clemson at six on the outside looking in. Bam that's, at six. You know, that's pretty interesting when we think of like we always try and think of the minds of the committee that they have there and what they think in that aspect. And as of right now, if Clemson wins this game against Notre Dame this week and they, you know, went out, they're going to be in the playoffs. Yeah. And so that's not something that SEC fans want to see. And then it'll be the winner of the Big Ten, Ohio State, Michigan. The winner will make the playoffs for that. And then this matchup this week against Georgia and Tennessee, that's going to be a huge one for the committee. And it's going to be a difference maker in college football, one that you guys are not going to want to miss. Um, but outside of that, that's going to do it for our show today. Um, we got a lot going on this week. Uh, hopefully you guys see me on TV. We're going to be at the Celtics Cavs game tomorrow night. It's going to be so much fun. I'm telling you right now, my boys are bouncing back tomorrow night. If this is up, make it happen. The Celtics are bouncing back tomorrow night. They're getting it done. Even if Darius Garland comes back, but a long year ahead of us. There's a lot of amazing basketball to be to be watched and to be played. But thank you guys for listening. Um, you guys have a great rest of your day. And uh, I'll see you guys next week. This is Lance's House of Sports.